Welcome to Florida. That is the voice of New York Times bestselling author and award-winning environmental reporter Craig Pittman. My name is Chad Scott, and this is Welcome to Florida. And as the Piney Point saga continues, Craig's latest article for the Florida Phoenix, you can find that at floridaphoenix.com and follow Craig on Twitter at Craig Times. They've got a solution, apparently. <laughs> kind of. Well, uh, Manatee County Commission voted unanimously to uh, to take all of that waste, all the all the millions of gallons of, of toxic waste that's at the Piney Point phosphate plant, and inject it into a deep well that goes down 3,500 feet into the ground and that store it the- down there in the aquifer. And mm-hmm. they say, you know, but not the part we drink from. This will be stored in this real brackish part that we don't drink from and that way it's okay. And uh, already the farmers in that area and the environmental groups are saying, wait a minute, doesn't that stuff sometimes move around? Couldn't it wind up in, in our wells and, and affecting our irrigation? And so I, in my column, I said, what are you worried about? You know, everything we've seen in the movies and TV tells us (laughs) that once you come in contact with toxic waste, you get superpowers. So, you know, what's wrong with farmers who have superpowers dressing up in spandex and flying around their crops and, zapping uh pests attacking their squash with you know laser beams shot out of their eye sockets i think this is a great thing i think yeah. it'll be good for everyone that we all get superpowers out of this <laughs> that would be an only in florida story yes, yes. indeed <laughs> you talk about the groundwater though and the what is beneath our feet in florida is very much different than most places and explain right. how that it's the limestone oh, the, karst right yeah yeah the geology here and we went into this in our show on on the florida aquifer with uh, julie hauserman that, uh, you know, what's underneath is not solid rock and it's not gravel either, which is what you find in a lot of places. It's limestone caverns and they call it karst, K-A-R-S-T. It's the reason why we get sinkholes in Florida mm-hmm. because it, the stuff does tend to crumble. And it means that uh, any liquid that's underground tends to move a lot faster than uh, anything that people are used to. And so you inject pollution down there it's liable to show up again somewhere else. Uh, and I gave the example, I gave several examples in the column, but the one that kind of comes to mind quickly is that in 1998, the city of St. Petersburg, or I'm sorry, Pinellas County revealed that the sewage that they'd been injecting down there had been migrating back up for the past seven years. And it spread as much as a mile away from where they'd been putting it down. Yeah. And it started creeping into people's private wells. And mm-hmm. so they said, that's it. We're, we're canceling the whole deep well injection program. And we're going to try and do something else that's a lot safer. There you go. So I interviewed the I interviewed the Manatee County uh, administrator who had proposed this, and he said, "Well, is there a risk?" Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know? it, it astonished me that this passed uh, unanimously. I mean, there wasn't a yeah. single dissenting voice. It was like, eh, this is the best we got. I mean, I realize the scale, and maybe I don't. But let's just say I, I realize to some extent the extent of this problem, and you've got to do something with this yeah. water. Uh, shooting it down into the aquifer seems like it should be like position D as opposed to <laughs> plan A. The backup to the backup to the yeah. backup. Well, and, the, and here's the thing is, you know, yes, we have about 260 uh, of these deep wells scattered around Florida, but not one of them is at a phosphate plant. They've never used it at any of these phosphate plants before. This would be the very first one. Is this the, really the where you want to experiment? Is this really where you want to make make the citizens guinea pigs is with this one. Yeah. Even Mosaic, the biggest phosphate company in the world, doesn't do this in Florida. So 
Why not? Why hasn't this uh, been tried before with phosphate waste? Because it moves around. Because it's, it's very it's, liquid, right? This yeah, is yeah. This is this was this is acidic water. This is water that has been used in the in the process of turning phosphate rock into fertilizer. And when it comes out, it's uh, acidic and it's got heavy metals in it like cadmium and so forth. It's not something you want to take a bath in, that's for sure. No, but it's also not sludgy or solid. It doesn't stay no. put. So you've got no. an underwater, essentially underground cave system with stuff moving around and all kinds of tunnels and channels and ability for <laughs> movement. And then this medium you're going to pump down there that is incredibly toxic, but it's still liquid. So the chance for all of this to mix and mingle and wind up God knows where seems awfully risky it did to me but you know like what do i know <laughs> yeah but i'm all i'm all for the superpowers man yes. and i i, I want to you know i want to be able to fly like superman and look through look through walls with my x-ray eyes so i'm all brought my- to you by the magic of <laughs> phosphate that's fertilizer right. and superpowers <laughs> great <Yes>. well uh <laughs> folks all across florida are listing their Properties with Hip Camp, which is a growing community of respectful people looking to get outside for camping, glamping, RVing. We've been telling you about Hip Camp for a couple of months now, and welcome to Florida, and are still receiving a wonderful testimonials about you know small farm owners and family farmers and horse ranchers and, and folks who are retired with a little bit of property who are renting that property to the Hip Camp members and earning up to a thousand dollars. A month. Anyone with a property that helps people connect with nature anywhere across the state of Florida can be a HipCamp host. Hosts are allowed all of the flexibility with the scheduling, so it's not like people are showing up when you don't want them there. Guests schedule through you. You get paid every week via PayPal or direct deposits. It's all on your schedule. HipCamp helps you with all of the insurance and all the forms. And there's not a lot because they do this on a national scale. So they've got the process uh, figured out to a T and you are able to earn some passive revenue on your property. So if that sounds interesting to you, if you'd like to learn more, get started today, visit hipcamp.com slash land, hipcamp.com slash Land, And we'll also remind you about our newest sponsor here at Welcome to Florida, which is Amelia Island right in my backyard. Craft breweries, craft distilleries, great biking, the Amelia to Sea bike path. We've got the Talbot Island State Parks near here, Fort Clinch State Park, a historic downtown, all kinds of Victorian architecture. The downtown is walkable. There's all locally owned shops and restaurants and boutiques. There's no Gap downtown. There's no American Eagle. There's no Chili's in the Fernandina Beach historic area because it is authentic. It is unique. It is that slice of Florida that you aren't sure still exists anymore. Stay in a bed and breakfast. Walk on this gorgeous beach Take a Segway tour around town. Take sailing lessons. Craig, you ever been sailing? Uh, Not on purpose, no. <laughs> <laughs> I took sailing lessons here out of Amelia Island a couple of years ago. Had a blast. We have 
River Cruises traditional Southern cuisine at any of a number of restaurants. The uh, right whales uh, come through here during the spring. Craig's written about that before. One of the very very few places in America you can see migrating right whales from shore when the time is right. We've got the salt marsh and the great birding in this tree canopy. If you want to find natural, authentic, old school Florida uh, with a little bit of a hint the way it used to be, check out Amelia Island for your next long weekend, your next family vacation. It's still affordable. AmeliaIsland.com is where you can learn more. Follow them across uh, all of the social media, especially on Instagram at Amelia Island, and tell them that Welcome to Florida sent you when you book. So from the northernmost part of the state in Amelia Island, we now <laughs> traverse what seems, if you were driving it, to be about 5,000 miles south to Key West. <laughs> Nancy Klinger uh, is a uh, journalist who worked uh, in in the Keys for the Miami Herald and then became a librarian for Monroe County for a while and now is a reporter for WLRN, which is the public radio station based in Miami. She is their Key West reporter. You can follow her on uh, on Twitter as at Key West Nan. She knows an awful lot about the mo- one of the more intriguing places in Florida. So let's talk to her. Nancy, you're not from Key West. Where are you, where are you from originally and how'd you wind up down there at the end of the island chain? I am originally from Western Massachusetts, born, raised, and educated. Um, and I graduated from college in 1989. There was a little mini recession going on up there at the time. But I was very, very fortunate um, that I got an internship with the Miami Herald. And I was also fortunate that the Miami Herald was one of the few major metros at the time that would hire its interns. So I was hired after my internship and started with the Herald and worked up there for a couple of years. And then there was an opening in the Key West Bureau, which was this legendary bureau where many people had gone on to great fame and fortune in journalism. Um, A guy named Neil Brown had been in this bureau that you may know of. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple people before me was Jay Carney, who ended up as Obama's spokesman and now I think works for Amazon. I thought I'd spend a couple of years here and then um, move on to, you know, the even greater glories of like the Broward Bureau or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I also applied for grad school at that time um, and had saved up some money for grad school. And then I was trying to figure out what to do. And then I thought, gosh, the greatest thing I could have after grad school would be a good job at a good newspaper in a good place. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I have all those things right now. (laughs) Um, So I took the money I had been saving for grad school and made a deposit on a condo in Old Town Key West. And that was probably the single greatest financial decision of my entire life. (laughs) What What was it about Key West that attracted you that made you want to stay? Well, I think being a New Englander, I orig- I really, um, really identified with just the architecture of the place, the feel of the place, um, as opposed to Miami. When I moved to Miami, and I grew up in rural New England, a town of less than 2,000 people, being in a small town felt very comfortable to me. You know, Miami, I was like, you know, there's bars on the windows and these things called gated communities. <laughs> like, what, what <laughs> is happening here? Um, And you have to drive 20 minutes if you want to get a quarter milk. So um, being in a small town, um, but it's a small town that's never boring. It's a great news town, as we all know. So it just seemed like a a really great fit. And I loved loved the casualness of it. 
where, you know, this was in the early 90s, so we still had phone books, but people like the state attorney had their home phone number listed in the phone book, and you could basically <laughs> just walk into their office if you had a question. Right or wrong, it has a reputation for being key weird. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, there are these classic characters like Bum Fardo, who are right. so cast into legend. T- tell me your take on the key weird thing, and then tell me about, tell the Bum Fardo story, because that's a great story. I'm not crazy about the term key weird, and uh, I might be in a very small minority of this. It's certainly one that locals do use. But to me, it's almost like somebody who has to tell you that they're funny, right? <laughs> That's how it comes off to me. And it's like a little patronizing, like, oh, we're so weird, <laughs> you know? That's how I feel about that. But yes, we certainly have had our share of characters. Um, Bumfardo, uh, Joseph Bumfardo. Bum was his nickname. Lots of conks have uh, interesting nicknames, and you'll even see them on their gravestones. He was the fire chief. He always wore all red, rose-tinted glasses, Hmm. and uh, he drove around in a key lime yellow Ford Galaxy LTD. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, he was the fire chief, and he got busted for selling drugs in uh, 1976 and convicted, and he was awaiting sentencing and disappeared off the face of the earth, apparently. Oh and, and so people printed up T-shirts, right, that said, where is Bum Fardo? That, yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> and then, and I guess Jimmy Buffett wore one in a concert, and it really kind of became popular to, to, wear, <laughs> to wear those yep. shirts. You introduced a term, conch, okay? Help oh, people yes. who are unfamiliar with what a real conch is and then what the nomenclature conch is. Right. A conch is a Keys native, somebody who was born here. Real old timer hardliners will tell you that it's someone of Bahamian ancestry because that's where that term came from. They were called conchs. But generally, it's, it's someone who was born here. They are also, people will refer to a freshwater conch after seven years, and you can be made an honorary conch. I myself am an honorary conch. Um, but I don't think, to me, that's like, you're a conch or you're not. You know, you're from here or you're not. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and that comes to... from the conch shell, right? And the, right. The, that's why Key West is sometimes referred to as the conch republic, all of this working together. Which, which, which they actually seceded from the United States under that. Right. In 1982, the feds put up a roadblock at the top of the Keys, and and this caused a real headache for traffic and tourism. So a bunch of locals went up to federal court to try to get it lifted, and that didn't work. So they came back down to Key West and uh, seceded and declared themselves the Conch Republic. And actually, we're about to have our Conch Republic Independence Celebration, which we have every year. What was the roadblock for? I believe it was for migrant smuggling, not for drugs. But, I mean, the, there's a long history of, of drugs, not just Bonfardo, but didn't the FBI at one point declare the Key West Police Department a continuing criminal enterprise? Yeah, yeah, that was in the 80s in a famous case called the Bubba Bust. Not the fire chief, but the deputy police chief and a former city and county attorney got nailed in that one. Why did they call it the Bubba Bust? Uh, because Bubba is a term for, you know, like brother, people call each other Bubba. Um, and then uh, there's also just the term of the Bubba system, which is kind of like the local networks. Good old, the power. good old boy, the good old boy network. Exactly. Exactly. So these were all sort of good old boys who were in the drug trade. Right. And also, you know, enforcing the law at the same time. Yeah. 
How do you explain Key West and the vibe to people who've never been? My best shorthand is probably Sesame Street on acid. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like, you know, it's this picturesque little small town. And, you know, you see people in the neighborhood and you know them. And then, you know, there's a guy riding his bike by wearing like fairy wings and a corset and go-go boots and very little else. And everybody's like, oh, hi, Max. You know, <laughs> It's just a fun and interesting thing. And, and chickens everywhere, right? Chickens everywhere. Iguanas everywhere now. <laughs> the, the iguanas we've gone over and the invasive iguanas and how they get places. How, what's the backstory on the chickens? Well, that is um, undetermined. They're is a theory that they were brought over to be fighting roosters because we had a huge Cuban population here in the 19th century. We were basically the Miami of the 19th century Hmm. and or for food and that they escaped and became feral. Um, I've talked to our local historian at the library here and he says, you know, probably both. (laughs) (laughs) Key West, so famous for Ernest Hemingway. What is... Hemingway's relationship to Key West, how did he get there and how does that continue to linger today? Yeah, he is probably our most famous former resident. Um, Well, maybe Jimmy Buffett, but um, yeah. (laughs) He's my uh, next question. (laughs) He first showed up, I believe it was in the late 20s. I've only watched the first installment of the Ken Burns series. So, um, (laughs) and uh, some people, some fellow writers like John Dos Passos were already starting to hang out here. So he was moving back from Europe, from Paris with Pauline, his second wife. And they they came here the first time. I think they were on their way to Cuba, but they stopped here and um, they liked it. And she was uh, pretty wealthy. So her uncle gave them money to buy uh, one of the biggest houses in town. It, it belonged to a, a shipwreck salvager named Hmm. Asa Tift is the one who built it. And he was, you know, one of the big guys in Key West in the 19th century. So they bought that house and uh, owned it up till Pauline's death in the 50s. And um, because she stayed here when he left. Now it's a museum and it's incredibly popular. Didn't they build like a saltwater pool there for him? And Yep. And then he claimed the the story is that he uh, said it cost his last dime and like there's a penny or something uh, imprinted Mm -hmm. in the (laughs) edge of the pool. How about the cats? Are those really his cats? That is a great (laughs) question. Um, There was a, I I don't know if you remember, um, the Miami Herald used to have a a Sunday magazine called Tropic Mm -hmm. and they found, they talked to one of his sons who said, nope, nope, cats were not a Key West thing. He had cats in Cuba. Um, but there are some other references with, I believe, letters from Pauline talking about the cats. So I don't think he had as many as are there now, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> what I'd heard was that was that the cats lived next door and that when whoever bought the place and turned it into a museum for exhibiting moved the cats in and claimed they were his. Yeah. Which is just a classic Florida scam. You oh, know? totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, we've got a museum here called the Audubon House, and it was one mm-hmm. of the first houses that was restored uh, in the 70s. Um, and it's called the Audubon House because uh, uh, the person who owned it, Captain Geiger, another wrecking captain, hosted Audubon. And he may have spent a little time like on the property 
but that house wasn't even there yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking but, John James Audubon, the, right. the famous, yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, but, you know, if you stand and listen to the the tour trains go by, they'll be like, this is where John James Audubon stayed. <laughs> Print the legend. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And well, I should make clear, the Audubon them, house themselves do tell the true story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you mentioned Jimmy Buffett. When does he enter the Key West picture? In the 70s, in the 70s, he um, came down, had not had a lot of luck in Nashville. So he, he just came down here to the end of the road. And, and that was such an interesting time in the Keys because the Navy had been the big um, economic force here since World War II. And there was a submarine base and a sonar training school and all kinds of stuff. And they basically shut it down in the early 70s. Um, and the town was not quite broke, um, but definitely hurting. And there was all this marijuana smuggling going on and other drug smuggling, like the stuff that Bumfardo. <laughs> and it was just this like amazing hippie paradise, <laughs> right? Like cheap rent, like nobody cared what you did. It's a very, um, I don't want to say permissive, but uh, non-judgmental ethos. Very YOLO. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Very yolo, yeah. and, and and I mean, there, and there were he wasn't the only, I guess you'd say, future celebrity who showed up during that period of time, right? Right. I mean, Hunter um, Thompson was there. Yeah. Right. Uh, Thomas McGuane, uh, the writer, mm. spent mm. a lot of time lived here for a few years. If you ever want to see a great document from that uh, McGuane's movie Ninety Two in the Shade, which he directed based on his own novel, and was shot here. It's it's just a glorious uh, mess, <laughs> but really interesting. <laughs> um, and uh, who's in that? Uh, who who's not? Um, <laughs> Peter Fonda, Margot Kidder, Elizabeth Ashley, Harry Dean Stanton, Warren wow. Oates. It's wow. amazing. It's great, <laughs> and it it was streaming on Amazon Prime like a year ago. I don't okay. know if it still is. To be honest, we've got a upcoming episode about florida movies so we'll be sure to uh, double back to 92 in the shade that is not one i'm familiar with so i'll have to go and check that out for sure another one great one is uh, beneath the 12 mile reef that's about the uh, war between the spongers the the conks are the villains in that one and the greek spongers from tarpon springs are the heroes wow that now I thought they filmed that in in Tarpon Springs, not in. Uh, I think uh, mostly, but uh, there's at least some uh, scenes that are filmed at the Casa Marina Hotel, mm-hmm. which it was pretty much closed up at the time. So mm-hmm. it's kind of this like spooky landscape. Oh. So my father-in-law was a kid in Tarpon Springs and saw them filming it. That's why I'm, why I know that. It's a vivid childhood memory of his. <laughs> As she does most weeks, my mom was again walking the beach at Fort Clinch State Park here on Amelia Island last week and found another handful of shark's teeth. One big one in there, too, almost the size of the palm of her hand. We had a previous episode of Welcome to Florida all about sharks, and we talked about finding shark's teeth here on the beach on Amelia Island. We've got this great beach here on Amelia Island, the best protected dune system in all of Florida. This is the Florida beach almost the way it used to look. We've got that big beach set back with the dunes and the sea oats and all the gopher tortoises. Sea turtle nesting season is coming up and runs through the summer. We get four different kinds of nesting sea turtles here. One of my favorite Amelia Island stories Walking back from dinner 
eight thirty, nine o'clock uh, in the summer, so it had gotten dark, and we came across a green sea turtle laying its eggs on the beach. And those are the kind of experiences you can have when you visit Amelia Island. Visit us here on Amelia Island. I feel, and I've lived here for nine years now, like I'm still on vacation every single day when I see that ocean and I see that beach and I see that water. And that's the feeling that I want to share with you. And I want to invite you on behalf of all the folks here in Amelia Island, come give us a look. Whether it's a long weekend, whether it's your next family vacation, visit AmeliaIsland.com and learn all about the fantastic, family-friendly experiences you can have here on Amelia Island. And if you are a homeowner anywhere in Nassau County or Amelia Island or Pinellas County with uh, Craig down there in St. Petersburg, anywhere around the state, property owners are earning up to $1,000 a month renting their properties to Hip Camp community members because those Hip Camp community members, uh, they live all over the country and they want to experience this natural part of Florida as well. That natural side of Florida that we get to experience with more regularity, that's what they look forward to finding all year long. So if you've got a flat spot where people can connect to nature, pitch a tent, park an RV, Hip Camp wants to hear from you because they need you. They've got all these members who want to come to Florida and they don't have enough property owners willing to share their land. So if you've got a flat spot where someone can pitch a tent or park an RV, got a place to share, get started today. Visit hipcamp.com slash land, hipcamp.com slash land. <laughs> when did the gay culture become so prominent in Key West? I would say uh, probably in the 70s as well, when you could start being out more. Um, mm -hmm. Places like, you know, Key West is one of those places like... Fire Island or Provincetown or San Francisco that had that ethos of mm -hmm. non-judgmentalism. Um, we elected one of the first gay, openly gay mayors in the country in the 80s. So I think he, I think he was the first, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know. I, if I remember right, he didn't necessarily run on a platform of being, you know, LBGTQ friendly. It was more of a, a development versus preservation kind of thing. Right. And, and sort of tourism and mm -hmm. he, he was an art gallery owner, you mm -hmm. know, wanted to bring that kind of business to Key West. You talk about tourism, the latest kerfuffle between tourism and the locals surrounds the cruise ship and now the legislature is all tied up in, in this. It's uh, a topic uh, Craig and I have touched on briefly in, in previous episodes, but give us, uh, flesh out the backstory for us of the cruise ships, Key West, tourism, over-tourism, that conversation taking place there. Yeah, tourism, um, the sort of mass tourism versus high-end resort has been a, a tension since I moved here 30 wow. years ago. But um, it's it's just gotten more intense, and cruise ships are a real flashpoint for that. Um, a study a couple of years ago found that Key West gets about two million visitors a year, and um, we tend to get close to a million cruise ship visitors a year. Wow. So almost half of the number of people visiting Key West are coming by cruise ship. Um, and a study from the industry found that they're spending about 7% of tourist spending in Key West. So that's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so lots mean, of people, but not much money. 
basically. Right, right. Because they I mean, don't the stay over, I guess, right? I mean, so, right. I mean, they, they're of, not here for that long. Yeah. And especially compared to what people spend for hotels, you know, our hotel rates are insane. And and the latest dust up here was an attempt by Key West to limit the number of cruise ship tourists, and then the state got involved, right? Right. So um, when all the cruise ships stopped sailing like a year ago, um, mm-hmm. everybody was like, okay, we actually have a chance to sort of look around and see what this place is like without cruise ships. In fact, mm-hmm. we had, you know, no tourists at all for two months. The keys were shut off, essentially. Yeah. Uh, they started this petition campaign to amend the city charter, um, and they, they got enough signatures to get it on the ballot, and they were all approved in November. So right now, our city charter says that you um, cannot have more than 1,500 people a day arrive by cruise ship that no cruise ship with a capacity of more than 1,300 people can visit here, and that the city has to prioritize the ships with the best environmental and health safety records. So those are now part of our city charter. They haven't been enacted, really. I mean, they've been enacted, but they haven't been in effect because, you know, no cruise ships are sailing. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and and now the legislature is trying to shut that down. Right. Now the legislature is doing a preemption bill. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, that would take away the city's ability to do that. First, it was taking on all the ports, but now I think it's been targeted a lot more narrowly. towards. Yeah. Cuba. Yeah. At first, it was all the ports. And then they were like, OK, only the municipal ports. So that like, you know, Port Miami and Port Everglades were like, OK, fine. <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, now it's only ports not created by a legislatively created special district that are in an area of critical state concern. And there's only <laughs> like four areas of critical state concern. One of yeah. which is the you, keys, you, so. you can gotcha. see the, the legislatures and the, the uh, cruise ship lobbyists on the twister board of how do we get <laughs> this in there, but not that and that one, but not right. this. And I mean, what a pile of, uh, <laughs> chicken manure that is (laughs) yeah it was it was i mean it was actually funny to watch the the people from pensacola and st pete which have municipally run ports like why what what, why are you doing this to us i know i know and then meanwhile key west can say we've been running this way for 200 years why do you want to change it now right (laughs) right speaking of being a port for 200 years what's the situation with uh with sea level rise Yeah, we have one of the uh, oldest tidal gauges around um, on Key West Harbor because there's been a Navy station here for 200 years and the Coast Guard and the forerunner of the uh, National Weather Service has been measuring that. So, yeah, it's a big deal. We're looking at, you know, neighborhoods up in Key Largo that have been flooded for months at a time. Um, parts of Key West, we're constantly now installing these gigantic storm drains. What are people doing about it? Or are they doing anything, anything <laughs> about it? Uh, some people are raising their houses. Um, some people are, yeah, looking at um, how they can harden and or, or raise houses. You know, it's harder when it's a, a newer house on a concrete slab. I mean, the great thing about these houses in Old Town, um, I sort of refer to them as boxes on rocks. Um, And they did that both for flood protection and ventilation early on. But I mean, they're literally sitting on pieces of coral, blocks of coral, some of them. So it's actually not that hard um, to jack them up an extra foot or two. But I mean, will that be enough? 
uh, in the long term or is that (laughs) (laughs) long term? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just interesting to see a place that is where the vibe is live for today suddenly going, oh, and we have to plan for the next 20 years about this or else we'll all be, you know, we'll have wet feet. (laughs) You know. Yeah. Well, you know, in some ways I always think of the keys as um, Florida and certainly South Florida distilled, you know, like all these things that are going to eventually have to be dealt with in Florida happen here first. You talk talk about being Florida distilled and Key West is so incredibly remote. I don't know if people really have any understanding how far it is from Miami. Forget Jacksonville or Pensacola. It's a long ways from Miami. With that in mind, how connected or disconnected do you feel there to the rest of the keys, the upper keys, you mentioned Key Largo, Isla Mirada, those kind of places where people love to go fish and camp and do everything else. But then Orlando, Gainesville, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, How? what is that relationship like between Key West and the other keys and the rest of Florida? Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends. Um, some people rarely leave Key West. Some people spend a lot of time going up and down that road. Um, which is getting sort of scarier and scarier uh, in terms of traffic accidents and stuff. But I'd say we feel pretty connected, um, the Keys as a whole. I I know there's resentment um, along the rest of the Keys because more than half of the tourist traffic happens here Mm -hmm. in Key West. So all those people clogging up the road are driving, or not all of them, but a lot of them are just driving past Key Largo or Marathon or Big Pine Key to get here. And then those guys are like, we can't, you know, get out of our houses to (laughs) to go see a movie or something. Um, So that's tough. Uh, As far as the mainland goes, yeah, it's, it does start to feel like a whole different universe. 30 years ago, when I moved here, we didn't have the internet. So you really felt disconnected. And in fact, my employer, WLRN, hadn't started sending their signal down. So you didn't have public radio, <laughs> you know, <Wow. laughs> um, and you have to have cable to get TV because we're too far for the broadcast signals. That felt very disconnected. The internet changed a lot of that, it, but you can still like after Hurricane Irma in 2017, when we were like totally off the grid, it was really interesting. It was like, okay, we're on our own. <laughs> you know? um, if I want to get information, I have to go to the place and find the person with the information and write it down and then find a way to communicate with you know, Miami to get them the information. Um, old school analog phone landlines, by the way. If you have one in your house, never get rid of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they, they work. <laughs> are, are there still people there dealing with, with Irma, with the damage that Irma did? Yeah. Yes, there definitely are. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the state Rebuild Florida program has been really, really difficult for people to navigate. So that Why has so? Um, I just think there's a lot of of rules of like who pays for what and and what's allowed with a rebuilding and how much you can rebuild, how much it has to be damaged before it has to be brought up to all the new codes. And it just seems to be way more difficult. And, you know, people are going on four years of kind of camping mm. out and stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So how do you, how do people cope with that? I mean, are they, are they just like living in a half torn down 
house and make some are or you know you do the old park the rv in the driveway Mm -hmm. thing um or rent a house maybe you have a nice friend (laughs) um (laughs) you know some people have left some people have left do you think you ever would uh i don't know you know, every time I talk to my mom, she tries to tell me about how I should move back to New England, <laughs> mostly because of climate change. You know, it's just hard to imagine another place like this, especially one that I could afford to live in, you know, and it's and I've sort of invested my whole adult life in getting to know this community. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's really hard to imagine starting over somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, the measures of any special place and I don't care whether that special place is small like Key West or big like New York. When you're there, the feel, the atmosphere, the aesthetic means you could be no other place on earth. Las <laughs> Vegas, Paris, Key West, New York, there's, it, it is actually unique. You know, unique is a word that gets thrown around. Oh, that's so unique. And it's really unique. And it's, you know, no, Key West is unique and there is nothing else like it. And when you are there and walking those streets with all of that ambiance and and magic, there's no other place you could be and still be there. And I would imagine once that seeps into your bones, it would be hard to let go of. Yes. Although if you ask me that same question, you know, in September with three hurricanes lined up across the Atlantic yeah. coming at us <laughs> and it's been, you know, 90% humidity for four months straight, I might have a different answer. <laughs> yeah. That cuts down on the magic, I guess. Yeah. What are some specific Key West rituals that you you look forward to? There's a state park called Fort, Fort Zachary Taylor. It was an old fort, Civil War era fort. It's got a really nice beach um, and there's a nice shady area and locals love to hang out there. And um, in the summers, when you have those longer evenings, it's just a really nice place to just after work, grab some food and meet up with some friends and, and just hang out. I love to do that. I'm not a huge like fantasy fest participant, but there is one uh, event of Fantasy Fest every year. They call the the Masquerade March. It's also called the Locals March. People just dress up in weird getups, and we usually get together with a bunch of friends at the last minute and do that. <laughs> um, like it was, the theme was space a couple of years ago, so we were like red shirts from Star Trek and stuff. <laughs> now explain and, to people what Fantasy Fest is. They may not. Okay, know. yeah, Fantasy Fest is the biggest event in the whole Keys, and it takes place in Key West in late October. It is costume party and events and has a few parades. There's now a zombie bike ride. That's a big part of it. Um, But basically people who really like to dress up and party publicly or sometimes dress in nothing and party publicly. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's really fun thing. I'm not crazy about the ones that are like hugely packed and popular Mm -hmm. um anymore i guess i'm too old for that but like i said that that friday night masquerade march is still um something that i really look forward to every year uh christmas believe it or not coming from new england at first i was like it's not christmas what are you talking about (laughs) lights on palm trees um but the last couple of years, um, we've gotten into this tradition of decorating our bikes <laughs> with lots of lights yeah. and getting a bunch of people together and then just riding around town and admiring everybody's holiday decorations. And people do go all out. It's, it's pretty amazing. So that's a really fun thing we like to do every year. Now, at New Year's, you guys have a, a drag queen drop 
Um. <laughs> yeah, we have like five drops, <laughs> one of whom is Sushi the Drag Queen in a giant ruby slipper. Um, there's a conch shell drop at Sloppy Joe's. There's a pirate wench, and she calls herself that, so just FYI, um, who goes down the mast of a schooner. There's a martini with a key lime in it. A key lime drops into a martini glass, I think, at one of the hotels, and I may be missing one or two more, but yeah. Wow. People like to, people like to celebrate New Year's, is what you're yes. saying. Yes. <laughs> in a variety of ways. People like to yes, just celebrate, Craig. You can probably <laughs> knock off New Year's on that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When is the best time to visit Key West? I would say the best time is what they call those the shoulder seasons, when it's not insanely hot but it's um, not insanely expensive either. So like say between uh, either early November or between Thanksgiving and Christmas, right about we're heading into another one right now, post Easter into May. It's really lovely. Uh, If you are a Floridian and you can handle insane humidity, um, September is our absolute lowest time of the year for tourism and so that's kind of cool you get to see the island like more like a local mm-hmm. do, do you tell people to avoid mallory square and all the stuff that happens there or do you encourage them to go see it at least once i think it's worth seeing at least once um yeah definitely the jugglers and, and yeah and there's that. artists local working artists selling their work um it's good to support them are there any books about key west you recommend to people who haven't been there that you think kind of capture the place I don't even know if it's in print anymore, but Joy Williams wrote a book, um, another writer who has lived here, that's called, I think, The Florida Keys, A History and Guide. And I don't know if it's in print because it was a guidebook and a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff needs to be updated, but it's got a lot of good history in it too. Some of my absolute favorite writing about Key West is in the essays and letters of Elizabeth Bishop, who was a oh, poet yeah. who lived mm-hmm. here. They're not collected in a specific book, but um, you can find them pretty easily. Tom and her, Green's, her house, her house has been preserved, I think, hasn't it? Yeah, her house has been uh, purchased by the Key West Literary Seminar, which, by the way, I'm the president of. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, and now we're working on preserving it, it and it's really cool. Um, it because it's preserving the legacy of Elizabeth Bishop is really important because she's a really great poet and writer. Mm-hmm. But also the house itself um, is basically in the same condition as it was when she sold it in 1948. You know, if we hadn't bought it, it would have become, you know, a gajillion dollar vacation third home or something. The historic architect that we um, consulted, like, as soon as his foot hit the first step of the porch, he said, buy it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Is your goal to make it something people could, could visit and tour at some point? Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be like the Hemingway house, (laughs) right? (laughs) No cats. Um, It's going to be the headquarters of the literary seminar. So it'll Mm -hmm. be an office, but um, Mm -hmm. it should have space for small gatherings. And absolutely. We want to make it as um, accessible as possible. Are there any works of fiction that you feel like capture through the vibe in Key West? Well, Tom McGuane's two Key West novels, um, uh, 92 in the Shade and Panama Mm -hmm. are both uh, really great. Allison Lurie has a couple of Key West novels, um, The Truth About Lauren Jones, and the name of the other one is Escaping Me, but you can find it pretty easily. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are great. Tom Corcoran has a bunch of mysteries, crime novels that are... I've read a few of those. They are very atmospheric, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Carl (laughs) Eisen has a couple of Keys novels, too. Mm -hmm. 
you know, people always talk about to have and have not, not one of Hemingway's better works and uh, has some, it's pretty racist. So you should just know that going in. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of an interesting document of Key West in the 30s. Nancy, thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful. And you paint a remarkable picture of Key West that it's been probably going on 20 years since I've been the last time. But uh, you've reignited the flame. <laughs> right. Come on down. And there's, there are good art museums there, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Good, good art museums, good history museums, good art galleries. Um, there's lots to do and see here for sure. When was the last time you were in the Keys, Craig? Uh, not that long ago. It was it was uh, right before the pandemic hit, and I was down there uh, promoting Cattail and mm-hmm. uh, uh, rode up to the to the place where I was supposed to be to, to speak. And uh, there was a chicken in my parking space. <laughs> I thought, right. okay, this is a, this is a very Key West greeting <laughs> right yeah. here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I went when I was in my early 30s, I guess it would have been, went with my mom and stepdad and we did the dry tortugas and, uh, you know, traveled down the Keys. We drove from Miami and did a a day in the Everglades. It's, it has that, it is touristy. I mean, there's no question about that, even, even that long ago, but it still does maintain it's charm. It is undeniably yeah. charming. It is undeniably different. And, and like I was mentioning, it is undeniably unlike any other place in the world you can go. Oh, sure. And well, and it's, and it, it's a fascinating, it's got a fascinating history. At one mm-hmm. point, it was the wealthiest city in America, just really? because of all, all, the, all the work by the wreckers in the 18th yeah. century, 18th and 19th century. They had, they had amassed a tremendous amount of money mm-hmm. uh, and, and there weren't that many people. So it was the richest per capita. Yeah. And then and then in in the depression, the city went bankrupt, and it was actually taken over by the federal government, who said, yeah. "You consider making tourism your your main <laughs> good idea." Um, <laughs> we talk about the wreckers, and these are the folks, the the dive folks who would go and find the shipwrecks with all the well, and the, the, sometimes lure them onto the onto the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so they but get the, the, yeah, the way it works is through the keys is some really dicey stuff with coral, and if you've got wooden hulled ships, it it doesn't take a lot to get grounded yep. or to punch a hole in the keel or whatever mm-hmm. and there the shipwreck history down there alone is oh, sure. worth your while and the, well, the the scuba diving and the snorkeling oh, yeah. and you know, the water sports mel, the fishing mel fisher mel fisher, yeah, mel fisher famously found the spanish galleon full of gold there's a there's a mel fisher museum absolutely that was on my to-do list when i went as well from the tip bottom of the state of Florida to the tip top of the state of Florida, <laughs> Amelia Island. And Amelia <laughs> Island, like Key West, one of those unique, authentic Florida experience, part of that Florida that you may not even be sure still exists. Well, it exists on Amelia Island. And from the state's best protected dune system to an amazing tree canopy with live oaks and Spanish moss. It has the the Florida feel for sure with the dunes and the beach, but you've also got this southern flavor to it with the live oaks and the Spanish moss, a historic Victorian downtown, great shopping, walkable downtown area and marina, and then all of these outdoor activities as well, whether it's inshore or offshore, fishing, uh, tarpon, uh, sailfish, 
camping at Fort Clinch, which is one of four state parks in the area. It's the start of the Great Florida Birding Trail. It's exit one off of I-95. If uh, uh, Key West is mile marker zero, this is all the way at the <laughs> other end of the state. Uh, the kayaking, the stand-up paddleboarding, surfing. Amelia Island is a great family Florida destination. Check it out, ameliaisland.com, our newest sponsor of Welcome to Florida, and we want to thank them for their support. And of course, thank Hip Camp, as always, for their support. And whether you're in Amelia Island, whether you're in Key West, whether you are way over in uh, Pensacola, Panama City, you're down by Craig and St. Pete, if you own land and want to earn money, you can host outdoor enthusiasts on your property with Hip Camp. And landowners all across the state are earning up to $1,000 a month listing spots where folks can camp, glamp, and RV with Hip Camp. Learn more at hipcamp.com slash land. It's free to list. Hip Camp takes care of everything, including liability insurance. So if you think this is going to be a huge hassle to all kinds of paperwork and you got to go through this and in triplicate and go down to the get some sort of permit, no. Very simple. Hip Camp takes care of all the details hipcamp.com slash land. Final thing for you, Craig, were you a fan of the movie Key Largo with Humphrey Bogart? I think that'd probably be the most famous Keys movie. I I love it. And I just saw it again uh, the other day. Oh, no uh, kidding. Yeah, Turner Classics was showing it. They're showing their 31 days of Oscar and they're doing the movies in alphabetical order. So they got to the K's. I was like, okay, it's got to be Key Largo. And sure enough, it was. So. Okay, and, and one last, <laughs> what what is your opinion on Hemingway as a writer? I find him to be very mannered. Do you know what I mean? That that he's he's a trying for an effect and sometimes the him trying for the effect overwhelms the telling of the story. To me, the story is what counts. You know, you can see what he's going for, but it's like, you're not quite there. Uh, you know, you're, you're, your technique overwhelms what you're trying to trying to tell me about. You know, that said, Key Largo, the movie, to have and have not the movie, both great, great movies. So, you know, <laughs> but that's Bogart. 